Today is, of course, Palm Sunday. It is also a feast day. The feast day is not commemorated at the Mass, but only in the Divine Office today. And that is the feast day of St. Vincent Ferrer, who was known in his day as the Apostle of the Latter Times, or of the Last Days, interestingly enough. His feast day is today. There is an error in the bulletin. I ask you to take a look at that. Next Sunday, we have three Masses for Easter Sunday. <clears throat> we say in one place, the Mass, the first of the three Masses is, is at five o'clock in the morning, actually, but it's at the very bottom of the front page of the bulletin, it's true. The Mass will be at 5.30 in the morning. There'll be three Masses, one at 5.30, then at seven, and then at nine. So please make a note of that and correct that that the first Mass will be at 5.30 in the morning. And this is necessary so that I can leave because I have to offer a fourth Mass in one of the other missions for Easter Sunday. So uh, again, I ask you to please uh, reserve places for that. And I'll explain why in a moment. Now I know that's very early, but I trust that some of you uh, will be like the, the women on Sunday morning, who went early in the morning to take spices to anoint the body of Jesus, only to find the tomb open, the stone rolled back. I trust some of you will be coming with the women early in the morning to do just that, and to find our Lord risen. Now, I do ask your parents, please, for those who are very ill, I ask you to pray for all of those whose names are given in the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer league, prayer list, but also I ask you to pray in particular for Laura Vitkus and for Jonathan Sapp, for Andy and Rita Bertram, for Chico Perez, and Dorothy Albin. Mrs. Albin suffered a major stroke during this past week and is now in intensive care in the hospital. Please pray for her and for her family because no one is permitted to see her. Under the circumstances, it may well be that she will be in hospice very soon, at which point, then finally, she will have access, or we will have access to her, <clears throat> to be there with her. But I do ask you to keep her in your prayers, Dorothy Alvin. Now, I ask you to please consult inside the bulletin where I see, please reserve a place at the altar of repose. And uh, there will be a uh, way to reserve those places, either at Mass, Today or online, uh, also very soon, there are limited places to be at the altar of repose, which will be in St. Susanna Hall this year. And that will be set up very beautifully, and you're welcome to come. Families come together as a unit, of course, but there are a limited number of places, and so we ask you, please, to reserve places for yourselves during the hours of adoration at the altar of repose. And also, the 24-hour Rosary Crusade will resume this month on Monday, April 13th. That's the day after Easter. Easter Monday, we have the 24-hour Rosary Crusade. Please see Bill Butler after Mass today. Certainly, if ever there was a time we needed those rosaries, it is right now. And so, also, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, Sedality, has begun a living rosary 
a couple of weeks ago, there are 400 subscribers already, and actually they are around the, the world, not just around the country, but I understand you're around the world, and we invite you to join them. I have a little announcement from them here, which I will read to you. Our Lady of Perpetual Help Sedality from Immaculate Conception Church has organized a living rosary modeled after that approved in the 1800s by Pope Gregory XVI with the intention of making reparation for sin and to beg the intercession of Our Lady, especially during the current crisis. It has reached a number of people throughout the world in the last two weeks. Currently, over 400 decades are being prayed by individuals or families. If you are interested in uniting and praying the rosary with so many others, please go to wcbohio.com. That's the What Catholics Believe website, wcbohio.com, where you will find information on the Sodality email and website and how to enroll. The Sodality is especially encouraging our youth and young adults to commit to a daily decade of the Rosary. Now, when this idea was first proposed to me, I wanted to make a special reservation, and that is this, that I don't want people to sign on to pray a decade of the Rosary to think that is all they need to do. Actually, each one of us is expected to pray the entire rosary every day, at least five decades, at least five decades of the rosary. If you can pray all 15 decades of the rosary, that's, that's excellent. But each one of us should make it as much a necessity of life every day as, as uh, getting up in the morning, brushing our teeth, combing our hair, having a meal. We should consider praying the, at least the five decades of the rosary as essentially every part of our day and praying the additional decade with the living rosary should be considered over and above that. But the baseline is to pray the five decades of the rosary every day, ideally the 15 decades. And I'm sure many could find a way to do that too if they really wanted to. So I commend that to you. And uh, also please read the rest of the bullet. Notice at the bottom of the inside page I mentioned I mentioned to you that on Monday and Tuesday evening there will be time for confessions for those who'd like to come. And I do point out to you that the, uh, wrote the, the confessional actually is not going to be used. The confessional here will not be in use. Uh, we have doctors, very competent doctors and nurses with advanced degrees here in the chapel. We're very blessed to have them. And under the circumstances, they consider that the enclosed, the enclosed uh, confessional might be a bit dangerous because of the contagion going around. And I respect their judgment in the matter. I happen to agree with it, that it is somewhat uh, risky. So we would do what St. John Bosco did long ago. Saint, well, not that long ago, I guess, really. He would set a confessional out in the field and hear the confessions out in the open field. Well, we're not in the field, but behind the Pieta, there is a confessional set up for you. And uh, there, for the last couple of days, I have had confessions. Um, there's a fan there, which pretty much drowns out any sound. Um, so I'll be hearing confessions there before the masses and also during the week. So please expect that. The confessional line would be over there again with the six foot distance between people. 
as well. <clears throat> and so it takes a little longer, but it also gives the priests a little breather between confessions also. So there are benefits in that way. So I ask you to please uh, expect the confessional to be over there by the Pieta, very appropriately behind the statue of Our Lady holding the corpse of our Lord when his body was taken down from the cross. Now shrouded. Now the epistle for this, the Mass of Palm Sunday is taken from the epistle of St. Paul to the Philippians chapter 11 verses 5 to 11. Brethren, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery himself to be equal with God, but abased himself, taking the form of a servant, being made to the likeness of men, and in shape found as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, <clears throat> even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bend of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is in the glory of God the Father. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is actually the conclusion of the reading of the Passion today, the very last part after the insensation is today's Gospel. From the Gospel according to St. Matthew, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. And the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we have remembered that that seducer said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, the sepulcher to be guarded until the third day, lest perhaps his disciples come and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last heir shall be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go guard it as you know. And they departing made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the guards. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Please be seated. After three days, I will rise again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, today you heard read and you were reading to yourselves as I was reading at the altar the passion of our Lord, the account of our Lord's suffering and death according to St. Matthew, the first of the Gospels, the longest of the accounts of the passion. Of the three others, on Tuesday, we have the shortest account, and that is that of St. Mark, actually St. Peter, St. Peter's preaching in Rome gave us that account of the Passion of our Lord, of St. Mark. And we have on that on Tuesday, and we have on Wednesday of this week, the account of St. Luke, the second longest account, and then we have on Friday, the account of St. John the Apostle, the only one of the apostles who stood under the cross and was present when our Lord breathed his last there. And I ask you, please, even from your homes, to be sure and to read those accounts of the Passion as we go through this week. Even if you can't be here at the church, 
You should be familiar with the passions according to the account of the passion of all four of the evangelists. Now, I do need you to take care of some things for me here. You know we are following the rules laid down with regard to uh, practical measures to meet the challenge of this infectious agent, this pathogen, they call the, well, it's actually SARS-CoV-2 SARS is the name of the pathogen. The name of the disease is, is actually uh, COVID-19. We know it as the coronavirus. In order to meet the danger there, we have some very practical measures we're observing. And even if the health department of Ohio and other health departments had not come up with some rules, we would have had to do so anyway, simply because it does represent a danger. And uh, there are very practical things that any common sense, any person with common sense would do. And so we're trying to do those even here in the church. But beyond that, I need you to help me. I need you to make it possible for me to keep the doors open for you. And the only way that you can make it possible for me to continue to keep the doors open for you is if you're willing to follow the guidelines that are laid down, <clears throat> the distancing, as they call it, to all families can be together as a unit, of course, because you live under the same roof, the same residence. But to those you're not living under the same roof with, you have to allow wide berth. You have to give at least six feet of distance. That's uh, what is prescribed here according to the medical wisdom today in order to try to minimize the danger of this pathogen being passed from one person to another, even unsuspecting because there are no symptoms. And this is one, one of the things that makes this, this uh, particular microbe so dangerous, and that is that people carry it for days and days and don't even show symptoms. Meanwhile, they are passing it from one person to another. But when it does show symptoms, I'm told that 80% of the people who have it will not really show many symptoms permanently, they will never show symptoms, but that of the other 20%, half of them will show symptoms, uh, half of those will show symptoms, um, but will not need any real serious medical intervention. But of those, again, those who do, half of those will need uh, even perhaps to be hospitalized, and half of those will have to be on ventilators to breathe for them. So even though we cut down the numbers with each step, ultimately the numbers spread over the entire country and the, over the entire world, well, that's still a lot of people. And the medical system is not capable of handling all of that and treating all of those people at once. And that is why there can be a crisis that develops all at once as so many people come down with very grave symptoms practically overnight, or in the case of a few weeks, in any case. So it is our best interest to try to avoid this virus. It is, can be very deadly. It actually fills the lungs so much that the lungs themselves become rigid, and that's a terrible way to go by pneumonia.
<clears throat> so that the lungs cannot even function anymore. So we, we pray for those who are suffering from this, from the illness itself. We also pray for those who are suffering from the consequences of this illness. You see, there are two ways we can actually increase the danger. And it's not just the danger of the virus, <clears throat> it's the danger of enemies trying to take advantage of the virus. It is not unknown by any means for enemies, mortal enemies, to try to infect each other with diseases, even during the Crusades. Even during the Crusades, there were carcasses catapulted into the camps of the enemy. Again, they didn't understand how pestilence spread, but they knew well what pestilence was. <clears throat> Many of them had experienced it about once every century or so. <clears throat> and so they knew very well how to spread the pestilence. And they realized they could decimate an army in the field by causing disease and destroying its ability to fight. It seems there are those today who want to do that to us, to so bring down and weaken the United States of America that she can be easily conquered. Now, in spite of the danger there, we, we don't want to overestimate or underestimate the danger. There are those who are dismissing the danger of the virus, saying, oh, it's nothing, it's just a flu. It is actually more than that. It's more serious. It is more contagious. It is more stealthy in that it lies undetected for a long time while others are infected. And when it does strike, it does hit some people very, very hard and will cause lifelong damage, assuming that they don't die from it, as many have. And so it is not something we want to underestimate. And we certainly don't want to underestimate the, the, the threat from our enemies either, who would like nothing more than to weaken us to the point where we can no longer resist them. We don't want to overestimate the danger either. We don't want to overestimate it because then we can weaken ourselves even further. And so we fear that there is an overreaction going on, which is crippling America also. And we have reason to believe that this is doing also great, great damage, not only in terms of the health of the population, mental and physical, but also which is weakening our country in many other ways as well. So if we see or we fear this is happening in others, and there are a lot of people under pressure right now, then we have to be sure not to fall into the trap ourselves because our enemies will gain from our underreaction, our underestimating them, it's true, but our enemies will also gain by our overestimating them as well and spreading fear and terror. This is how enemies do things, especially the kind of enemies we have. I'm not talking about the virus here. You see, there are two things that we all seem to have to deal with, and that is a kind of sense of betrayal. I think there is widespread in America right now a sense of betrayal. And that is the idea that <clears throat> we have not been adequately prepared for this challenge and we feel somewhat betrayed by that. But there are 
acts of betrayal going on even now. We feel as we're being betrayed by even those, maybe agents in government, who actually are working uh, against our best interests, and knowingly so. Uh, there was a lot of talk about this pandemic being spread years and years ago. In fact, it was forecast even by one of the leading doctors who is speaking for President Trump right now, that there's going to become a, there's going to be a secret or stealthy virus or pandemic that's going to happen in the next administration. And this is as the administration was changing hands. Even then, it was foretold. And so we get the impression that there is something more to this than any of us is supposed to know or figure out. But in any case, that doesn't make it any less real for what it is. But the sense of betrayal we see even happening on the ground level, our doctors and nurses don't even have sometimes the basic equipment they need to protect themselves. And they're telling us what we must do to protect ourselves and they cannot, they cannot do the same things for themselves because they don't have the equipment to do so. And such things as basic as the masks that they need when they would do surgery or when they would take care of somebody who's highly infectious. Our doctors are casting about looking for these things because they're not there for them. And we realize it's because our own, our own companies have sold our protective gear to the rest of the world, notably communist China. Back in January, when the virus was ravaging China and the Chinese communists the problem is not that they're Chinese, the problem is that they're communists. And that Chinese people have, have been suffering under the heel of communism all these years. They are the victims of this, of this evil. But the Communist Party of China bought up all of our supplies, took them over to China. I understand in the, not only in the course of dealing with the disease there in China, they are also willing to sell the supplies that we've manufactured back to us at inflated prices. And this is where we're trying to get them. One of our own football teams sent a team plane to China to pick up a load of supplies manufactured here in this country to bring back to our country for our own doctors and nurses to use in the hospitals, no doubt at inflated prices. But there's a caveat, we have to be careful here. Spain bought 340,000 test kits for the virus from China, and they found that they are very defective. They give false readings. And they found that some of those, at least some of those test kits came, arrived pre-infected with the disease. And so this is what we're dealing with here. No wonder we, as Americans, feel as though from all sides, it seems from all sides. There is a company here in America that's manufacturing, on an emergency basis, the mask, the N95 mask, to try to protect our medical people from this disease. And yet, when they had people come from other countries and pay cash, they let them take the masks to their home countries and denied our own doctors and nurses, our own emergency responders. And no wonder we feel a sense of betrayal by this. But this should remind us of something more important. 
the most important thing we have to think about right now. And that is what was in the mind and the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ during this week in particular. If we feel a sense of betrayal because such things are being done, now, can we begin to imagine the sense of betrayal that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced? What was in his mind and his heart during this time? The sense of betrayal. The betrayal of the chosen people who had turned against him and determined to destroy him, who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him in the streets. The sense of betrayal of his own apostles, one of whom was on his way to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, another who would curse and swear that he never knew him, and the rest who would just appear, disappear into the darkness. Only St. John re-emerged from the darkness to stand with Mary at the foot of the cross. What must have been our Lord's sense of betrayal in all of this? And if we can take what we feel, we who are among the traitors, because we need to also think about the sense of betrayal that our Lord experiences when you and I sin against him today knowing what we do about his sacrifice and his love and having received all the graces that we have, you and I still are willing to betray him. What must our Lord have felt there? Well, if only we could experience that, if only we could understand that, if only we could at least appreciate it more than we have. That's a key to making a very good Holy Week, a very holy week, to enter into the mind and heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to understand that what we feel now is just a glimmer, a tiny, tiny glimmer of what our Lord himself experienced during this time. That's what we really need to focus on. That's what really matters. But something else we need to think of, too, and we may need to think about the fact that, yes, we have inconveniences. We, we go to this store sometimes and find shelves emptied of things we want. We can't necessarily buy everything we want when we want. These days, very unusual for Americans to experience that form of deprivation, any form of deprivation, really. Um, we find a certain anxiety, a certain fear, uh, a certain uncertainty that we don't we don't know what the future holds for us. We wonder how long it will continue, and so on. All of these things weigh heavily on us now. But we need to remember something else, too. Just as we remembered our Lord's sense of betrayal, and that's where our thoughts should be right now. So we need to remember that when we have a certain amount of inconvenience, and basically it, it amounts to a bit of inconvenience, basically. That's what it comes down to. And a certain amount of anxiety. We need to remember that for every single one of us here right now, there are not a hundred, not a thousand, not a hundred thousand, 
a million people, more than a million people in the world today who would love to have the opportunity to change places with us. There are a million people in the world, maybe 10 million people in the world who would love to have the opportunity to change places with any one of us here today because we are so well off, because we fear that we have so much to lose. But the only reason we have so much to lose is because we have so much. And what have we done with it? What have we done with the blessings that we've had? So often taken for granted, gratified ourselves. But what have we done in the service of God? What have we done in the service of the faith? What have we done for the church? What have we done? A minimum, maybe a minimum at most. So perhaps this is God's way of enabling us to make progress in the spiritual life. And you can be sure that no matter what trial there is, God always gives the grace to accomplish his purpose of making us better. God always allows trials in order to give us the grace in the hopes that we will accept the grace to be better. In this case, better Catholics. In this case, to know him more and to love him better. This is what our Lord wants of us now. This is what we want to uh, try to accomplish during this week here. But in order to do that, we have to be stop, we have to stop being obsessing, obsessing about ourselves, obsessing about our situation. Even if you stop obsessing about the things of the world right now, we need to turn our attention, our focus, our thoughts, and our affection to our Lord. And try to know him better and to love him more perfectly. That's what this is all about. That is why our Lord has allowed us here to continue to achieve that precise purpose. So I ask you to please, again, help in every way you can to make that possible. Contribute however you can, even by an act of humility, to keep the doors open to you. Now, my dear faithful, we, we have relived in a very simple way the triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem, which took place on this day, one week before Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection. In the course of this week, we're going to relive our Lord's life, as it were, step by step by step. We're going to relive his life uh, as he was at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday, and then going to Gethsemane and in the uh, St. Susanna Hall at the Altar of Repose, the adoration there. We're going to relive the time that he was on trial and that he was put to death on Good Friday. And we're going to ultimately then relive that time when on Saturday, Holy Saturday, Our Lady herself kept the faith when no one else would dare. She, she kept the faith. She was all that was left, as it were, of the faithful on earth at that time. And so we honor her with that. Now, I ask you to please enter into the sense of that, wherever you may happen to be, and uh, to uh, put aside the dread, anxiety, whatever it may be that this world causes. We say an enemy had done this, it is true. But we know the ultimate outcome, 
we know that all things are temporary, this included. And the victory is already won. It is won by our Lord. So about that, we should have no fear, and we should have no doubt that that is true. So we want to celebrate the victory of our Lord. Let us humble ourselves during this week to relive his passion with him too, in all faith and all love, giving him what comfort and consolation we can. It is through these very things that God brings us to a greater appreciation here on earth and everlasting joy in heaven. We ask St. Vincent Ferrer on this day also, a man who lived through very difficult times. He, was, he, he lived in the 14th century, a century plagued by the great Western schism then, uh, and the, the uncertainty of the papacy as to who was a true pope, if anyone was. He lived through that century. He lived through a century of war, continual warfare. He lived through a century of plague. He lived through that century. He is a man who knows from firsthand experience what this is like, only this is nothing compared to what he had to go through. And he kept the faith and he's a saint in heaven today. We ask him to be our patron during this time, one of, one of our patrons certainly, in helping us also to have such a deep faith an unshakable hope and an overwhelming love for our Lord that nothing can shake us from our fidelity to our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.